The song says, are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come, taste the living waters. And if that's you this morning, I think you and, and I, broken people, here we are together in this place. And uh, the Lord is just ready to minister to us in ways that we alone need. Uh, you have come to the right place this morning, and we are happy to have you. Jesus loves you, and we love you. Stand up and find out who your neighbors are, and welcome them to Liberty Bible Church.
But as I said, we are all broken people. And we're going to just spend a moment or two in silence. You just give to the Lord your day and uh, see what he says to you. So let's bow in silent prayer. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of coming before you. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you love us. We know that you want to cover us with your peace, your provision, whatever we're needing for this day. We thank you for bringing us to this place of worship that we can gather together. We love you and we give you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good job. <laughs> My name is Amy and I have the joy of welcoming you to worship with us today, whether it's in person or online. We are so happy that you are with us to worship. If this is your first time with us at Liberty, a special welcome. Stop by the Welcome Center. We have a little gift for you that we'd love um, to meet you and hand that to you. And as always, we ask that you fill out your connections cards. We have not one, not two, but three ways to do that, so there's no excuses. There is a copy of the connections card in your bulletin that you can fill out. You can also do it through the Fine Liberty app or through our website and the quick links at the bottom of the page. God calls each of us to be a part of the mission field, and what better way to support missions than with some healthy competition with our friends and bidding against at our auction. So we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. Tickets are on sale for the optional dinner. That's only $6 that you can enjoy dinner during the silent auction. You can purchase tickets um, at your campus lobby or at findliberty.net forward slash events. Auction donations are due today in the Hall of Nations. Remember to check all other announcements in that bulletin that you picked up on your way in this morning. And also this morning, I have the joy of reading scripture with you. And as you are able, I'd ask for you to stand in honor of God's word. We are reading from Luke 5, verses 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This is God's word. It's hard to imagine, because we don't live in that society, what it was like to be Levi, so rejected, so low in society. But we, what we know today is that our God is mighty and that there's nothing that he can't conquer. 
Well, before we jump into our text for this morning, let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you give eyes and ears to those who cannot see and hear spiritual things. And so now we open your word because we need to, to be led not just by our own heart's desires, but be led by your spirit. Uh, so now lead us um, by your spirit into your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. That should shock us. That Jesus says, once starting a religious movement, says, I am not interested in righteous people following me. I have not come for them. That should surprise and shock us. And we can only imagine what people in Jesus' day would have thought when they heard him say this. That to live in Luke 5 day, where Jesus lived and ministered, was to live with the assumption, if we are righteous enough, if we are faithful enough to God's covenant, if we keep the Sabbath, know our Bibles, live righteous lives, only after that will God send His Messiah to us. So if we are righteous, God will visit us. Everyone assumed this. Everyone believed the Messiah will come, round up the righteous, and launch His kingdom on earth. But Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. I cannot overstate the radical nature of this statement. Jesus says, if you are righteous and consider yourselves righteous, one of the good ones in the world, one of the solutions to the problems of the world, my kingdom will not interest you. I have not come for you. Why does he say this? And who is Jesus calling to himself? And how do we become that kind of person? That feels like I just outlined a sermon for you. And I did. Why does he say this? Who is Jesus calling to himself and how do we become that kind of person? So let's start this. Why, why does Jesus say, I have not come to call the righteous? Now I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for my seminary. It's in Deerfield, Illinois. And it was a great experience. Uh, but it was in the North Shore suburbs of Chicago, in a, a very wealthy part of Chicagoland, so much so that Michael Jordan's own home was right down the street from where I went to seminary. The number 23 was still blazoned on his gates, even though he didn't live there anymore. At Trinity, it was full of the most uh, brilliant minds I've ever uh, met in Christianity. So rolling into that seminary was a little intimidating. Surrounded by enormous wealth, brilliant minds. But in my first time with my formation group in seminary, my professor and a man who had become a mentor in my life said something that I will never forget. I think I've said it before, but I'm going to repeat it. Dr. Phil Sell gets up in front of us and orients us to seminary life, gives us advice. And then he says to us, 
I want you to know that if I ever find you in a compromising situation where you are in trouble, where you're around people that you shouldn't be around, my first assumption is going to be that you were there because you are on mission with Jesus. That is the last thing I expected to hear from a seminary professor in Deerfield, Illinois. Because he was undoing assumptions we carry about Christianity, that to be a Christian is to be a good little boy or girl who stays far away from trouble and never ruffles feather. We have to deal with the fact Jesus is doing the opposite in this passage. He's in a compromising position around people he should not be around. He's at a feast with sinners and tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were hated by everybody for good reason. They were liars. They abused their authority. And they've already showed up once in Luke's gospel. It's been several weeks since we've been there. But this is what John the Baptist said to tax collectors. He said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Now, underneath that statement is the fact that they, they would lie about how much tax you owed so they could profit off the excess of the taxes they collected from you. And they use state power to enforce their greed, abusing their power. They are dishonest abusers of power. And so they had a terrible reputation, both among the Jewish people, but also among Romans. Nobody liked them. They were seen as snoops, people who pried into your life so that they could enforce Roman authority against you and take money from you. They were corrupt and untrustworthy. They were thieves. And Jesus is enjoying a feast with them. Laughing with them. Listening to them. And to eat with someone in that day was a big deal. To share a meal with someone was to, to communicate to them and to others. I'm willing to share a meal with you because I'm wearing, willing to share my life with you. It signaled a willingness for kinship, to relate to that person as family, to be in communion with that person. Jesus is willing to share his life with the snoops, liars, thieves. So obviously the religious people, the righteous, have a question for Jesus. Verse 30 of Luke chapter 5. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. What are you doing, Jesus? And his answer begins by saying, I have not come to call the righteous. And just imagine the religious established hearing that. Everyone assuming that, that the Messiah will come when the righteous are living righteously enough. And realizing Jesus is saying everything you've thought about the Messiah is wrong. That Jesus is not here for the people that you think he is here for. He's actually here for the people you think he's not here for. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So why does Jesus say I have not come to call the righteous? Because he came for sinners, not the righteous. And that raises the next question. Okay, so what does that mean? Who is Jesus seeking 
to call to himself. Well, in 1517, several hundred years ago, a monk in the German town of Wittenberg grew tired of the corruption of the church in his day. One practice of such corruption was indulgences, where if you gave money to the church, you could secure for yourself pardon and relief from punishment of purgatory. You could bribe God and get off the hook if you gave money to his church. So this monk was incensed at this. So he wrote out 95 theses to confront the corruption of the church and to call God's people back to the gospel. And he nailed these theses on the church door in his town. That monk's name was Martin Luther, and his first thesis read this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of the Christian is repentance. The way to relate to Jesus is not through your righteousness. It is not through being a good enough person that you have a place at his table. Because Jesus is not seeking people who are good enough to eat at his table. He's not come for them. He's coming for sinners. Repentant sinners. But what that doesn't mean, and I think often what we can think it means in uh, today, several hundred years post Martin Luther and Jesus, is that when you repent when you become a Christian, then when you get into the Christian life, from that day forward, you must prove yourself good enough to, to stay at Jesus' table. Which leads to Christians either being unsure that they're welcome at his table, or we are sure we're welcome at his table and we look down on those we think are not. No, the Christian life itself, the whole of being a Christian, is a life of repentance. So what does that mean? What did Luther mean when he nailed that sentence to the door of his church? What does Jesus mean here when he says, I've not come for righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance? What does that mean? Mean? Well, to answer that question, you have to answer the question, what is repentance? And the Greek word literally just means to change one's mind. And we have a pretty good illustration of, of what that looks like. Jesus rolls up to a tax collector named Levi and says, follow me. Which is Jesus' way of saying, stop living into your vision of what you think your life should be. And instead, turn around and model and pattern your life after my life. Think what I think. Do what I do. Change your mind about the, the kind of life you should pursue and pursue this kind of life I'm offering you instead of the life you are presently pursuing. Levi being a tax collector. Instead of pursuing a life of, of greed and wealth and abusive authority and dishonesty, pursue my kind of life instead. That to repent, to follow Jesus, it's not enough to say, please forgive me of my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. It's a part of it, but it actually misses the, the key thread line to me. That to repent is to follow Jesus and to look at him and to say, I want your kind of life. I'm tired of my kind of life. I want a life patterned after your values and vision and your kingdom. And I'm incapable of doing that on my own. So Jesus, you're going to have to turn me around. 
That is the kind of person Jesus is looking for. The kind of person he is seeking. But again, this is slightly different than how I think we can think about repentance. Slightly different than how we can tend to practice repentance. That repentance is not sorrow for the consequences of my sin. For example, I did my taxes this week. To the best of my abilities, I tried properly to fill them out. I have no interest in meeting anyone from the IRS. And they're probably listening right now. But let's say hypothetically, all of us in this room could be guaranteed that we will never be audited. Would you then be honest on your taxes? If there were no consequences for that sin, you knew you were going to get away with it. In Jesus' vision of repentance, that life is inconceivable. Because repentance is not for an action. It's repenting that I'm the kind of person that continually does the action. Because if you could do the action and not get away with it and no one knows, then there's no consequences. Unless what you really want is the life of Jesus. A life free of defrauding others, dishonesty, cheating. You want to be that kind of person where it's natural and easy and typical to just tell the truth. Repentance is not sorrow for the consequences of my sin. And repentance is not trying to pay God back for my sin. And this could play out a lot of ways. And for some, including that monk, Martin Luther, even our repentance becomes a way of atoning for the cost of our sin, trying to pay God back. That before Martin Luther believed in the gospel as Jesus is laying out here, he described this as his experience in the Christian life. And I've heard this from Christians today. My conscience could never give me certainty, but I always doubted and said, you did not perform that correctly. You were not contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak, and afflicted conscience... With the traditions of men, the more each day found it, or the more each day found it more uncertain, weaker, and more troubled. This is why Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. Because repentance is forsaking performance as my means of being welcome at God's table. And even my repentance is not performance to God where I repent well enough so that he'll respond and then welcome me at his table. It's, it's one reason why from time to time people have said, you know, before communion, we should pause and, and have people make sure they're worthy of the table. It's not quite what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 11. Communion is not the time to decide if you're worthy enough to come to the table. Communion is the time to forsake the, the idea that I will ever be worthy of the table of Jesus and come on the basis of grace alone. I come because of his body given, his blood shed, not because I had a good week. I've not come to call the righteous, Jesus said. Repentance is forsaking performance is my means of being welcome at God's table. To repent is to say to God, I will never be welcome at this table on my own. I cannot perform my way into worthiness. That's what repentance is. I want your life, and I can never have it. So may I receive it by, by grace. That's repentance. So, how do we become this type of person? What does a life of repentance look like? 
Well, Jesus uses a metaphor for himself here. He says, if you want to understand what I'm doing, why I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners, think of a doctor. Now, I'm in a long line of Spanberg males that believe very strongly that unless part of your body has been broken, fallen off, or hurting so bad you cannot play golf, you do not go to the doctor. But a couple years ago, as I was training for the Chicago Marathon, while I was, I was running, I suddenly had enormous hip pain. It was brutal. I had to stop running and then limp uh, a couple miles home. came out of nowhere. And so I waited a couple days, went to run again, and within a few steps, the same brutal pain happened. And I realized, this will affect my ability to play golf, so I will have to go to the doctor. And I did, and, and I was given a treatment, exercises, stretches, physical therapy. Now, I must admit, as I was given the therapy, I was convinced it would not work. I would show you the stretches and movements that he showed me to do, but it would make all of us very uncomfortable. It was weird watching him show me what to do. But it worked. He offered me a treatment, and it worked. So Jesus is saying, if you want to understand me, think of that experience. Think of doctors. Which means to repent is to receive his treatment. A life of treatment is repentance. So what is he treating you for now? If Jesus were to write you a prescription, what would he be trying to heal you of? Pride? Greed? Anger? See, to be a Christian is not just a general admission, I'm a sinner. But to enter into a treatment program with Jesus. That to want the kind of life he lived means receiving treatment to become that kind of person. And so when we read of his life, we see flaws in ours. And we go to him for healing that we might become like him. We read through the Gospels and we see Jesus forgiving his enemies. And we know, we're, I'm harboring bitterness. I'm not forgiving someone. And we want to let it go. We want to, the type of life Jesus has, a life of forgiving his enemies, free of bitterness and resentment. But we know we're not there yet. So we enter into treatment. He's treating our bitterness, our anger, our lack of forgiveness. We're praying it out with him. Every time we come to the communion table, we're remembering Jesus forgave me, his enemy. Gave me his own body and his blood. One day I'll be able to forgive my enemies. We see Jesus just telling the truth, speaking the truth in kindness. And we know, we use our words to manipulate, twist the truth, turn people against our enemies, gossip, slander. And so we're in treatment, praying it out, asking Christians around us, how is my speech? How are my words? We see Jesus eating with tax collectors, showing kindness towards people who are far from God. And we know we're judgmental. 
We have no trouble speaking in harsh terms of people whose politics or vision and morality is not our own. But we want to be more like Jesus. So we read and go to him for treatment. What is Jesus treating you for right now? See, one of the problems I, I see in religion is that we obsess over the sins of other people. We pronounce judgment and condemnation on other people full of sins we do not struggle with. And that's what's happening here. The Pharisees look at the tax collector and think themselves superior. Therefore, they cannot comprehend why Jesus would give them the time of day. And of course, Jesus will spend his days pointing out the sins of the righteous. Their greed, their pride, their self-righteousness. It's not that they're without sin, they just don't see it yet. And one of the biggest warning signs that you consider yourself righteous, that you are one of the people Jesus did not come for, one of the clearest signs you are righteous is that you cannot name a sin Jesus is treating for you now, with specificity. The thing you are praying, confessing, working out before the Lord, and in community. You don't have a specific sin you're working on, but you do spend a lot of time thinking, brooding, and growing in anger at the sins of other people. A life of repentance is a life of receiving treatment from Jesus. To want his kind of life and to know the only way you'll have it is if he treats you to become it. So that's first. Second, a life of repentance is a life where you share your table. So Levi, this tax collector, who we are told in another gospel is Matthew, probably wrote the first gospel. He's one of the 12 disciples. And when he starts following Jesus, the first thing he does is he opens up his table to other sinners. Uh, those of low repute. In the same way Jesus opened up his fellowship to Matthew, to Levi. Jesus says to Levi, follow me, come into my life. So then Levi goes to the tax collectors in his life and says, you come into my life too. The same way Jesus invited me into his life. One of the most uh, powerful conversion stories I've heard in the last several years is that of uh, Rosario Butterfield. She was hostile to Christianity, a professor at a university in New York State, wanted nothing to do with the biblical vision of life, and then wrote a, a letter in her local paper that was hostile to Christianity. Well, the pastor read what she wrote and then wrote her a letter. And she received the letter and described the letter as the kindest piece of hate mail I have ever received. But he was willing to invite her into his home. Shared his family's table with her. And over lots of listening and gentle and kind conversation, fellowship at his table, Rosario became a Christian. How open is your table? Or actually, the better question probably isn't, uh, would you eat with anyone? Because many of us in here, we know the Christian answer to that question. The better question for many of us might be, would anyone want to eat with you? If they surveyed your social media history, would they still feel welcome at your table? Would they have to wade through your strong opinions about life and politics and cultures before they would hear anything about Jesus? To go back to the metaphor of a physician, a good physician does a lot more listening than talking. They slow down. And when I went to the doc for hip pain, I, talk, he, I talked much more than he did. 
Because there's no way he could ever offer the right treatment without holding back his voice, his opinions, and his thoughts. This is why when you read of Jesus' life, it's so interesting because he, he asks a lot more questions than statements. But that doesn't mean he bends the truth or caves on the truth. No, he, he stays rocked solid into truth. He just asks a lot of questions that invites people into that truth rather than pronouncing the truth over them. And in our world of hot takes, reactivity, performative anger, what if the church was known as the the place with the best listeners? What if the community of Chesterton, Valpo, Valpo Portage said, I didn't know what to do and then I, I met someone from Liberty and they just listened to me. It's table fellowship that leads to conversion. So how open is your table? Would anyone, anyone feel safe and welcome at your table? Third and finally, a life of repentance is, is living at his table. But here's the thing. This is what's annoying about living at Jesus' table is you do not get to decide who else is invited. And it's really surprising when you read through the Gospels how much we tell Jesus, how much Jesus tells us who to invite over to our house. It's commands all over the scriptures. I'll just give uh, one example. In Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. But this command is, is repeated frequently by Jesus. He writes, When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When you have people into your home, seek out the poor, those who can't walk, and the blind. If you've been with us in this series long enough, you know that goes back to Luke 4 when Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And then he goes in. Who are the poor? It's the blind. It's those who can't walk. It's those shut out from society. Have you shared your table like this? Have you ever had someone who can't see into your home? Someone who can't hear into your home. Someone who can't walk into your home. I'm not sure I actually obeyed this teaching until a few years ago when my own life and family was plunged deep into the special needs world. And now I cannot imagine my life not obeying this teaching of Jesus and making a central point of my life. Grant, I'm unique. This is the part of my own family, but I want to invite you to consider it making it a part of your family. And so one easy but costly first step into that world is, is Johnny and Friends. So this June, we have three weeks of volunteers who are going to go serve at Johnny and Friends camps. And maybe that could be your first step of obeying this teaching of Jesus. Could you give one week to enter into the life and teaching of that command? And I realize maybe the thought of, of bringing special needs folks into your table is overwhelming. And that's what's beautiful about Johnny and Friends is they will teach you how, train you. Families like mine will help you into that world, help you see the beauty of what Jesus is commanding of you here, why he commands you to do this. And so we have a table set up uh, in the lobby this morning. Go and ask questions. Pray about signing up. Maybe if you've been wanting to do this for years and been putting it off, maybe this year is the year.
I hope you'll consider that to begin to enter into the teachings of Jesus. And listen, I realize the the easiest way uh, you can guilt trip anyone is by showing them a picture of a child with a disability. In the Duchenne world, uh, I've heard multiple parents joke about how uh, every time we go to the airport, we end up with another stuffed animal. So I get it. There's guilt. That's not why I'm inviting you into this. Rather, I'm saying I think there's a reason Jesus told us to do this. And if you're not doing it yet, now might be the time to start. So there'll be people at, at, at his table you will not want. That's a part of living at his table. But, but second, there will be sinners at the table of Jesus. People who do not deserve to be there. Which of course raises the question, do you deserve to be there? And do I? In a minute we're going to take communion together. And there are only two reasons why you believe you can go take communion at Jesus' table. One, it's because you are righteous. You've earned it. You deserve this. You're better than those who are not in church this morning. Of course, Jesus explicitly says, that means you have no place at my table because I've not come for you. Or, you're worthy for the table because you know he welcomes repentant sinners. And you need treatment this morning. And Jesus has offered you his own prescription, my body given for you, my blood shed for you. So we go to his table to be welcomed into his family and to be treated by the great physician. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for sinners, people of ill repute, the outcasts. So I just want you to know this morning, if, if I ever see you in a compromised position, with people you shouldn't be around. If the police ever call the church and say, this church member is in prison and they have asked for the pastor to come see them. I want you to know, my first assumption is going to be that you were there on mission for Jesus. My first assumption will be that you believe what Jesus said when he said, I have come not for the righteous but sinners in Luke 5. Because if Jesus listened to, ate with, and loved people that the righteous thought he should never be around. Well, where should Jesus find us? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you came to us, repentant sinners, and offered us a seat at your table. You did not ask for performance, for effort, for better living, but said, let me, let me take over your life and lead you in a new future. And so uh, those of us whose faith in a repentant life, God, our hands are open this morning. We want to live the kind of life that you invite us into. We want to love our enemies. We want to be free of anger, be full of forgiveness, an end to our bitter heartedness. We want the life we see Jesus living in the Gospels, one of joy and gratitude, righteous suffering. We want to enter into that kind of life, but we need treatment. So now as we sing, as we prepare to take communion, uh, treat us, Dr. Jesus, I pray. Amen.
now let us uh, eat the grace, the body given for us, the blood shed, the, the bread and the cup. If you're a Christian and your uh, life is oriented around being a repentant sinner, open-handed to grace, uh, we take this meal to orient ourselves around that grace um, now. So if your faith is in Christ, come in groups of five to seven, take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together at the instruction of those serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, uh, we're so glad that you're here and we believe God wants you at his uh, table. And so I'd love to talk to you what that means. I'll be in the hall after service, but even use this time now just to say, okay, God, you want me to at your table. What does that, that mean? My heart is open. Use this time just to be uh, still before the Lord. I'm going to pray for us, and then as you're ready, come to his table. Father, this is our act of, of proclaiming your death, your burial, your resurrection, that you are coming again. And our one hope in life and death is oriented in your body given for us, your blood shed for us. So now as we gather at your table, make this a truth, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let us praise God together that his redemption is limitless. It included us. So let's stand. this week uh, believing that is true though our sins are many our spot at his table is why he came 
to call the sinners to repentance. And one note before you leave, just as a reminder, if you're newer or newish to our community, uh, next Sunday during the 1030 service, we'll have a newcomer coffee where I'd love uh, to meet you. Um, we'll be in the fireside room after, uh, or during second service. So I hope you'll, you'll make that. There's a way to sign up online as well. Uh, with that, let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May you live into his grace and peace this week. You are dismissed.